Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. If you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. If you don't have a Bible and you have a Bible app on your phone, open that up. You can Google it. Uh, we're going to read some scripture together in just a moment. Uh, but this morning, uh, it feels a little bit like a homecoming. This is the kind of season where homecoming happens, right? Uh, homecomings in high schools, I think, are in October usually. And it's that time of year where, where you go to meet up with all of those friends you haven't seen in years and years. Anyone ever been to a high school homecoming? Ever been to like a high school homecoming like more than 20 years after high school? You don't have to raise your hand if that's you. That's okay. Uh, but things change a lot. But it, it just, this morning feels a little bit like a homecoming and, and finding a place to belong. Maybe you've, you've been a part of our community uh, or you've been away for the summer. A lot of people on vacation and you're getting plugged back in. Or maybe you've never been here before or you've never been to church before and, and you're looking for a place to belong and come home. The good news is, is that this is a great place to come home to. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit for the next few weeks about a story of homecoming from the Bible. And, and it's a story, many of you might know it. In fact, maybe you're familiar with this Rembrandt painting here. Uh, it's the story of the prodigal son is what we normally call it. Uh, we're calling it the prodigals because the idea of a prodigal is just someone who lives lavishly. And there's really three characters in the story who live lavishly. We're going to talk about a younger son, we're going to talk about an older son, and we're going to talk about a father. And all of them are lavish prodigals and lost in their, and are doing prodigal things in their own way. But this Sunday, I want to talk to you about the younger son. I want to talk to us about homecoming and help give a little bit of vision for the year about what homecoming looks like for lost people here in West Milford. And I basically... The, the idea that I, I want to share with you today is, generally speaking, uh, when we're lost, when, when you've been in a situation uh, where, where you feel lost, confused, uh, like we were praying earlier for people who are battling addiction, there's a state of lostness. Uh, addiction's kind of an obvious one for us, but there are other things that happen in life where we might not realize it, but we're lost. Those things devastate us. And they take a toll on our soul spiritually. And, and when we could be lost, maybe not geographically, but emotionally or, or spiritually or something like that, uh, it, it takes a toll on us. So lostness can devastate us. But what I'd like to suggest from this passage today is that when we come home, uh, we're, we're defined by our return home. Lostness devastates us, but coming home defines us. So let's read a little bit of this story, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 24, and talk about being lost and coming home. Let's read this together. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land 
and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. And I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. And so the party began. Let's just take a minute and pray. Father, the story is very familiar to many of us. Or at least some of us. We've heard it here and there. But... I ask that your Holy Spirit would just uh, be present right now and open our eyes to see something fresh that perhaps we haven't seen before. God, as you're already present here with us in the room, I just pray, Jesus, that you would speak to each person here. We know that, that you have intended for everyone to be here that's here, here in this room today. And so we ask, Father, that as, as we come from our own lostness into a homecoming today, that we would hear your voice calling us home to you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. So lostness devastates you, but coming home defines you. I just want to talk about those two ideas this morning with you. First, let's just talk about how lostness devastates us. This is how I'm defining lostness in a spiritual sense. It's living independently from the Father by denying his existence and his love for you, this is key, through your actions. Maybe you've got great doctrine, you've got a lot of things figured out about the Bible, you know the right answers, we're going to talk about this character next week, but through your actions perhaps you deny his existence or you deny his love for you. You want to live independently from him. And this is really what the younger son was doing. He wanted to live independent from his father. He wasn't interested in being a part of the house anymore. And he says to him in verse 12, I, I want my share of your estate now. Now anyone who's uh, a historian or, or if you're some Bible nerds in the room, you'll know uh, that for him to say this to his father who was alive was basically saying, Dad, can you die now, please? I want my money. It's a nice and sensitive thing to say to your father. How many of you would love your kids to come to you and say, Hi, can you die so I can have my money now? It's a great, great thing for your children to say. Uh, and and at actually, uh, what most uh, cultures of this, uh, of like this would do 
uh, and, and, and even today, to this day, if a son were to come in particular or any child were to come and ask for their inheritance like this before their father died, their father still to this day in some of these countries uh, has a legal right to just beat the snot out of their kid no matter how old they are. Uh, because they're asking for them to die. It's, it's, for them, it's a version of self-defense. Essentially, so this is not some like light request that this younger son is making. I want to be completely independent of you. I have no interest in you being alive. And then in verse 13, he takes it a step further. Not only does his, son, his father divide the inheritance between his two sons uh, and is willing to do that, no questions asked, uh, but the younger son then packs all his belongings, all his new money, all of his possessions and inheritance and says, I'm out. Let's get as far away from this place as possible. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to have any sense of being tied down to this place, this homestead. I'm done with it. I am done with it. Not only was he denying his father's existence in this moment, but he wanted nothing to do with, with the culture, the tradition, the way of life that his father had created, uh, the people that... Uh, his father, uh, who had, had respected this family and the community, the, the people that uh, this father had built a lifetime establishing a, res- a reputation with, he wanted nothing to do with any of it. Get it away from me. I'm not interested. I'm going to do my own thing. One commentator puts it this way. He left nothing that would serve as an anchor and bring him back in due course. You know, a lot of us uh, maybe have kids that went away to college, especially uh, kids that might be from my generation and a little bit younger. Uh, and uh, how many of you know they didn't take all their belongings with them? Half of it's still in their room or in your basement, and you're still trying to get them to take all of their belongings. This is a little bit different, but you know because that's there, it's kind of nice. I know, especially for a lot of moms, like, you, can, you know they're going to kind of come back. Like, it's still kind of their room. You know what I'm talking about? You guys, parents know what I'm talking about? So, but th- th- there's something to anchor them there. There's nothing to anchor this younger son. He's out. He took everything. There's not even a bill. He changed his mailing address, everything. He's completely out. And he's going to live independent from his father. He wanted his money. Please die. I don't want anything to do with the life you have created here. So this definition of lostness, to be independent from the father, really applies well uh, to this younger son, but I think it applies to us a lot of ways too. How often through our actions uh, do we deny God's existence or say, I wish you were dead? How, how often, not just, and I'm not just saying because we don't pray or read the Bible here, uh, we, we wish God was dead. How often have uh, we not loved other people in a way that God has loved us? And by so doing, we deny God's love and his existence. How often uh, have we just strived to provide everything we need at any cost and never recognized that our Father wants to provide to us everything that we need? If you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, that's the line of our daily bread. He wants to provide everything we need. How often do we strive and bend over backwards and work ourselves to death because we're afraid we'll never have enough? All of these are actions that, that deny God's love and existence and his care for us. Even a deeper sense of lostness, and I, I think this is uh, even more critical for us to recognize because maybe it's easier for us to recognize that superficial stuff on the surface, but 
Um, there's something that drove the son to a distant land. Uh, there, there was something he wasn't experiencing in his own context, in his own world. He, he felt, anyone ever had fear of missing out? FOMO? I think there's like a cell phone commercial with FOMO right now going around that I saw. And, and everyone's got FOMO, and you don't want to have FOMO, this commercial saying. You've got to have this phone that can give you all the details, the latest information, all the news and updates as fast as you can. And the, and the slogan of it is, they have some comedian doing it, I forget his name, and he's like, no mo FOMO is the way the commercial's going. We can't stand to go a second missing anything, right? And so this younger son has this voice inside of him driving him. You've got to go find out and experience everything you're missing out on right now. And if you don't find out what's going on, you're going to be missing out. There's something that you're going to be missing. There's something, uh, missing this experience is going to actually destroy your credibility in the world. You're not going to get into as good of a school if you don't have certain experiences. You're not going to be able to get in with certain crowds and make certain connections for your future if you don't have certain experiences and things like that. And, and these kinds of voices uh, drive the younger son and I think drive us today. H- how many of you have done things in your life just because mom wanted you to? How many of you have done things with your life because there was a sense of an expectation by someone influential in your life? And it was almost like you had a tape playing in your head, if I don't do this, so-and-so is going to be upset. So-and-so died 15 years ago. Why are you still on that? But that tape has become so powerful, and that voice is so powerful in your head, and it influences you every day. It could, be, it could be well-meaning voices too. A lot of them are. A lot of well-meaning voices, but, but they've been in there. Even since childhood, a lot of them have been these things that we believe. I, I have a voice in my head that I've had, I had to work through. And I, my, I, this is recorded, but my mom knows I love her and I've, we've worked through this. But I had a voice in my head from my childhood. Some people are like, oh my gosh, he's bashing his mom. Um, uh, but I had a voice from my childhood I had to work through. Whenever I was a child and, and I would do something that my mom would like, not every time, but often enough it was a consistent pattern. Um, and I would be crying, I'm maybe six years old or something, I would apologize to go to her, she'd be upset because I did it for the umpteenth time, right? And she's so angry at me. And instead of receiving my, my apology, she would say, no, don't talk to me, and she would go away. And I learned through that that if I make a mistake, I'm going to be cut off from relationship. And we all have these tapes, these beliefs we have. They're incorrect, but they're the perception of children who are seeing the world as so much bigger often than it really is, right? And so we all have these tapes, these perceptions in our mind, these voices often that are trying to be helpful, trying to get us to fulfill the desires of our heart, trying to get us to recognize something. But honestly, when we start following these voices, we start moving to a distant land, really far away from the voice of our Father. And we just keep drifting and drifting the more we begin to focus on those voices. Henry Nouwen, uh, if anyone of you have read Henry Nouwen, uh, if you haven't, please, I encourage you to. He's a spiritual writer. He, he wrote a book uh, just meditating on this parable. And, and one of the things he said about his own voices is he said this. He said, the voices have come to me through my parents, my friends, my teachers, and my colleagues. But most of all, they have come and still come through the mass media that surround me. And they say, show me what a good boy you are. You had better be better than your friend. How are your grades? Be sure you can make it through school. I sure hope that you are going to make it on your own. What are your connections? Are you sure you want to be friends with these people? These trophies certainly show how good a player you were. 
Don't show your weakness, you'll be used. Have you made all the arrangements for old age? When you stop being productive, people lose interest in you. And when you're dead, you're dead. How many of you feel so encouraged right now? And you're just ready to go off into the sunset. Yeah. You have voices like that in your head? Maybe even now you're going, oh, yeah, those are voices. These are tapes in our head. Um, the, there's a really, really big logical word the Bible uses for these tapes. They're called lies. They're lies. They're not the voice of the Father. They're, they're well-meaning voices often. Sometimes they were really hurtful voices, intentionally hurtful. But a lot of times it's well-meaning voices and, and what they were saying gets twisted into weird beliefs in our head and in our behavior. And, and instead of us drawing closer to the voice of the Father, to accepting his love, we, we begin to react to the voices. And, and we push out into the world to try and find a way to satisfy the desires that all of these voices are pointing at. Uh, the, these voices for us, I think, have really shaped the world we, we live in today, I think, for the last four or five hundred years. Um, the secular world, basically a life that doesn't have God, doesn't have Jesus at the center of it, is the world we live in. And it's a world where uh, you have to figure out how you're going to get these desires met, how you're going to finally silence these inner voices. How am I going to do this? And the secular world basically says, figure it out. There's many different paths you can choose. You could be an exercise fanatic. You could be a workaholic. Uh, you could dump, pour everything you have into your family. You could uh, invest it into uh, artistic endeavors. You could just get wealth or power, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, there's an early draft of the Declaration of Independence. And you know what it originally said? Uh, that these certain inalienable rights are, uh, among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Did you know that? That was an early draft, and, and a lot of the framers and writers of the Declaration of Independence, including Thomas Jefferson, were like, you know, if we say everyone should have property, that might not benefit us too well, so let's change it. And so they decided to change it. This is true. You can, you can go do some research on this. Uh, let's change it to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, knowing full well that happiness is sort of a moving target. Anyone feel super happy about one, something one day? You get a new car, then the next day you see a little nick on the car, and you're like, I hate this car. <laughs> right? Happiness seems to be a moving target. But, but in our, our secular world, uh, the goal is happiness. How many times do you say about your children, I just want them to be happy? Right, as long as you're happy. This is quite often the, the ultimate value that we hold up as what we're all aiming for. And there's nothing wrong with being happy. I like feeling happy. But it's a moving target. And it, and it deceives us into thinking we can achieve something. And these voices drive us towards whatever definition of happiness we feel like we need to achieve. And, and we chase and we chase and we chase after them. Again, uh, Henry Nouwen talking about this kind of chase uh, actually talked about addiction. And he said, as we're, you know, because we were praying about addiction earlier, he, he said this about addiction. He said, addiction, because this is often what secular society and this pursuit of happiness leads toward, is some version of addiction. He said, addiction might be the best word to explain the lostness that so deeply permeates contemporary society. Our addictions make us cling to what the world proclaims as the keys to self-fulfillment. 
accumulation of wealth and power, attainment of status and admiration, lavish consumption of food and drink, and sexual gratification without distinguishing between lust and love. These addictions create expectations that cannot but fail to satisfy our deepest needs. We chase and we chase and we chase and we run because the voices tell us to chase and we chase and we chase and we move further and further away from the only voice that can satisfy us and we get more and more lost in our own lostness. Never quite attainable is that happiness. In some ways it's like a new religion for many of us, but it really frustrates us, doesn't it? So this, uh, this is where I, I, I come to uh, the first part of what I was suggesting is that lostness really does truly devastate us and, and it destroys us because this is what lostness is. This is where uh, the young son ended up. He ended up ultimately, he spent his wealth, he enjoyed his time, and then there was a famine. Things didn't go to plan. He didn't have a safety net. He didn't have a backup plan. And suddenly he found himself feeding pigs and he had to beg someone to let him feed his pigs. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but a devout Jew, which is the context of this parable, they wouldn't go anywhere near a pig farm. So this guy is, is, is so embarrassed. He, he's in the deepest of the deep pit right now. Nothing's worked out. And this is where his, his, his vision of happiness and chasing these voices has ultimately led him. These, uh, these voices, they, they've demanded too much of him. They've pushed him to the brink. And now here he is on his own. And this is really important. I want you to see this. Uh, he ran out of his money. And not only did he run out of his money, but his friends then ran out on him. Look at this, verse 18. No one gave him any, or excuse me, 16. No one gave him anything. He fed these pigs. The pods looked really good. But no one gave him anything. This, this right here is the kind of the, the dark truth of, of our own culture and, and what we live in. If you don't have anything to offer me, I'm not interested in you. If I can't gain some benefit from you, I'm out. How many of you have been hurt by people because they've lost interest in you? You no longer were feeding something in their life and so they decided to be out. But this is the truth about this pursuit of happiness. It really devastates us. This, this wandering, chasing these voices devastates us and destroys us. Think about the impossible double standards that we're asked to live to in our culture. Listen to this. What, if, what about vacation? Make sure you enjoy your vacation, but can you keep your email and your cell phone on, please? Or how about make sure you save for your retirement, but you really should be enjoying your life now. Make sure you work really, really hard so you can buy a nice house, you can provide for your children, uh, you can have a nice car, but also make sure that you spend a lot of time with your children, you have time to enjoy your car, your nice house. You feel like you're caught in these double expectations. Remain committed to a sexual partner. Experience intimacy. But, you know, don't get too attached because there might be a better option. How do you know this is really the love of your life? The Bible teaches, but this, this is what the world tries to force us into. Women, 
How many of you have felt the pressure of, hey, have a career, work 90 hours a week, be the CEO of a, country, of a Fortune 500 company? Why aren't you at home, though, with your kids? Why aren't you taking care of your husband, cooking, cleaning, doing all these things? You can have it all. There's only so many hours in a day, folks. Men, increasingly, there's the, the call, and, I, and I'm all for this, being emotionally available to your family. But with those increasing calls, there's still that pull to say, hey, stop talking about your feelings so much. You need to be strong for your family. Buck up. Get over it. How many of you feel lost and confused just thinking about these double standards? The voices, the expectations, the way we're called to chase happiness and they just like dangle it like a carrot in front of us. And you never reach it. And we become lost and alone and at the end, just like the younger son, when we follow these voices. And lostness devastates us. Now, here's the thing about lostness in and of itself. Jesus uses this word to talk about people who are far from God all the time. Lostness in itself is not condescending. It's not negative. Jesus actually assumes the best of people when he uses the term lost. Why? This is why. Jesus knows you have real desires. We all have real healthy desires to be significant, to be loved, to be fully known right? We, we have desires to make a difference. Those are all good things. No one would say those are bad, right? But you went searching because there were voices telling you it had to look a certain way. There were expectations put on you, and maybe you're still feeling that if you don't do it this way, it's not really significance. It's not really interesting. What has your life amounted to? Jesus knows you have a desire for real, full experience of life, to live life to the full. He knows that. He just knows you went searching like the younger son. And, and now you, you can't find your way home. You're lost. He's assuming the best of you. You're someone who's searching. You know there's got to be more. And you know there's got to be more. And you keep looking and looking. And you just can't find it on your own. And Jesus is here for you. So how, how for you has this, this secular vision, this pursuit of happiness, how has this messed with you? How has this put these crazy expectations on you as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a coworker, as a friend, as a son, as a daughter? What kind of crazy expectations have been put on you? And honestly, you might have to spend some time working through this because a lot of times, especially when I began to realize these voices in my head, I thought it was just normal and that was just what you had to deal with. That's part of our lostness. So how is this, this pursuit of happiness working out for you? Is it going great? Maybe you're like, I really don't need this. My life's pretty good. Don't need God. I don't really have anything to offer you if you feel like you're, you're good where you're at. Honestly, no one can change unless they're actually desperate. Unless they're really coming to, to a point where they're like, this just isn't working anymore. But for some of you, maybe you've crashed and burned. Maybe that's actually why you're here today. You come to the end of yourself. What else do I do? Or maybe you've crashed and burned over and over and you've just had opportunities to reinvent yourself because that's kind of what our culture is good at. Reinvent yourself. That's what midlife crises are. Dude goes out and gets that motorcycle. I'm a new man. He just reinvented himself. 
But even that is just part of this vicious cycle. Did you really become new? Or did you just kind of like put a little paper mache over yourself and try and stitch things back together? Maybe you've even been here in church for a while and this is part of you reinventing yourself. Do you want that? The lostness that devastates you, that sends you after cycle after cycle of crashing and burning? Or do you want something more? And that's where the story changes. The son decides that he's not going to get lost, let lostness devastate him. He's going to allow uh, coming home to define him. And this is what's true, is coming home defines you. Coming home defines you. He comes to his senses, the younger son. Verse 17. I'm sorry, I'm going to find my, my slides here. He finally comes to his senses. He realizes, hold on. My dad's servants are eating better than I am. They have a roof over their head. They've got more than enough. What am I doing here? Maybe... Maybe I could just go be one of those hired servants. Apologize profusely. I'll prove I've changed. And, and I'm just going to just go back and, and, and do that thing. He realized that there's a voice that he had been keeping quiet this whole time. And it was the voice of his father. Come home. Come home. Just come home. Come home. I love you so much. But he prove himself to his father. He tries to prove himself to his father. He goes in this whole speech. He's like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to say, I don't de- I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm just going to be a hired hand. Is that cool? Dad, can we just do that? You don't have to call me your son. I don't want any money. I don't want anything. I'm just going to work. And even implying that, he was implying he was going to pay off all of his debts that he was, had accumulated. He was going to chase after uh, just proving himself. Let me just show that I'm different now. Let me show that I'm different. But, but here's the reality. Was, was he any different? He was going to show up at his father's house and he was still wearing a bunch of rags and he smelled like a pigsty. He was literally no different. Literally no different. He thinks he can prove himself. But the reality is, is, is that there's really nothing about us that we can prove to God that we've changed. There's nothing in us that we can do to change ourselves. In fact, some of us kind of like to keep God at a distance like that. There's a story about a, a, a professional soccer player. I was going to say football player, but for most people in this room, that probably doesn't ring true. Uh, but professional soccer player, and he's told this story about he was estranged from his dad for two years. He was a young guy, scored his first professional goal. And when he scored his first professional goal, he came home and his dad accepted him. Welcome home. And he welcomed him home with a, mm. that was him, his dad loving him and welcoming him home. But, but that was, I, I heard this story recently and it, it, it shocked me because this young man was so proud that he had finally proved himself to his dad. But what happens in a few weeks when he didn't score another goal? Is his dad still think, gonna think he's loved? He's still going to be loved or is he going to have to prove himself over and over and over and over? See, the son was going to have to prove himself over and over and over with his groveling. And and that's not going to help. That's not going to help him. That's not going to help us because it's just going to be the same cycle over 
and over again. And a lot of us really would prefer to be the hired servant because it's a little less intimate, a little less close to home. Henry now and again said, as a hired servant, instead of a son, I can still keep my distance. I can still revolt, revolt, I can reject, strike, I can run away, or I complain about my pay. See, when you're a son or a daughter, you're tied into the family. You can't, like, run from that. But if you want to reject that and just be a hired worker, you could kind of just be a soldier there, but it's a little safer sometimes, isn't it? Instead of coming as we truly are, with all our mess, all our pigsty smell, all the junk of our lives, our past, all of the experimentation and experiences we've had in our life that we're ashamed to even mention to God, and he's like, will you just come home? Because we don't understand, folks, that it's not us proving ourselves that changes us. It's simply coming home that changes us. Look at what the father does. I'll skip ahead to this. His father saw him, ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, clothed him, threw a party for him. The son barely got the words out of his mouth mouth that I'm not worthy, and the father was already ignoring him, saying, here's a robe, here's the signet ring of the family. You're back in. Shoes, sandals, most people didn't wear sandals and shoes. Your feet were dirty. Nice clothes, the best robe. We've been fattening this, this lamb, this calf for a party. Let's throw a party right now. You see, the son could not change himself, and I love that Rembrandt painting because there's the son in tattered clothes, pigsty-covered clothes. Even his face was probably dirty. The only thing that changed was his relationship to the father. And his father did everything else. Gave him dignity back. Clothed him, embraced him, kissed him. Said, you don't have to prove a thing to me. I love you. I'm so happy you're home. That's such a contrast to the voices of our world, isn't it? Constantly asked to prove ourselves. To show ourselves worthy. But when you come home to the Father, it changes you because you don't have to prove a thing. You're just in his home. I want to just close with this, ask you a question. The worship team can come back up. We're just going to close with a, a song of worship. But how many of you, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've been coming to the plant for a little while, but how many of you are going, I got some voices in my head? I, I've, I've got some expectations I've put on myself, I've had people put on me, I've been running doing a lot of running, reinventing myself, crashing and burning over and over. Or maybe you, you, you've kind of done some level of I'm going to come back to God, but you kind of just came back as a servant because you really didn't want to totally give over control to God of the healing process and the forgiveness. You didn't totally want everything he had for you. You're just like, I'm just going to kind of do this like incremental thing so it's still on my terms. I don't know how I feel about this yet, God. How many of you right now are just longing for someone that just is going to lavish love and dignity upon you for no reason other than you're their child?
Maybe there's, there's so much uh, jadedness, cynicism in your life right now, and you're like, I don't even know if I can receive that. I've been hurt way too many times. I've been broken way too many times. This, this cycle of addiction just keeps coming back, coming back, coming back. I just want to ask you, challenge you, invite you one last time. Just come home one more time. Just come home to the Father one more time. Tomorrow you find yourself going, oh, I think I'm getting lost again. Just go right back to the Father. Now, we're not abusing it, but that's not what the message is about today. We can talk about that another time. But just keep coming back. Run to him. Run, run to other followers of Jesus that are there with open arms to display the Father's love to you. Say, I've really screwed this thing up. But I'm back. I need help. These voices can't dominate my life. I need the Father's voice to dominate my life. So let's stand. We're going to worship. And I just ask, as you're, as you're standing, if you want to put uh, close your eyes for a minute. And if you're here today and you're just like, you know what? There's a lot of voices in my head, a lot of expectations. And you're kind of going, I, I, I think I need to hear the Father's voice again. I want to get called home. I want to go home. If, that, if that's you, would you just raise your hand up? Father, you see every hand that's here. We just thank you for that. This isn't about us convincing people, Lord. This is about you calling people home. So we just thank you so much, Father, for uh, your voice that says to us that we're loved, that we belong. We don't have to prove a thing. There's no double standard. Just come home. Let the Father give you dignity, lavish his love upon you, and be with you. Let's worship together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.